You can uh, open your Bibles not to the book of Acts, which we've been in for a while, but to the book of John. <clears throat> We're going to be there briefly in a moment. You guys make it more fun when you're up here. You're more exciting than the adults. Don't you think? Are kids more exciting than adults? Yeah, I think so. Even when they join you all the way up on stage. You want to preach with me? Oh, see, I knew that would scare them, but... <clears throat> Hey, so uh, this morning, what I'd like to do, just uh, uh, briefly, we're going to walk through something that's familiar. We'll get to a passage that's probably familiar to everybody in the room today. But before I get there, I want to talk just a little bit about, there's a, there's a tension that we live in that sometimes we don't even know we live in. And it's the difference between what we know is true and what we, act, what we actually live out in our lives. So there's actually, a, sometimes we don't realize there's a disconnect I believe this to be true, but I live this way, which means I know the truth, but I live a lie. Now, we would never say my life is a lie, but sometimes we live things out that are not true. And here's an example. There's a difference between what you know and what you do. So let's just talk about driving for a moment. All right? So when you are driving your car, you know that now in, 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 in this day and age that you are not supposed to text and drive, Correct? In fact, they've proven that texting and driving is the equivalent of actually driving drunk. But confession time, has anybody ever texted and drove before? Yes. But you know that it's wrong, and you know that it could be dangerous, but you still do it. Okay, how about another example? How many of you know that when you come to a stop sign, you're supposed, the law says you're supposed to come to a full and complete stop? How many know that's true? How many want to confess that you've ever rolled a stop sign? Yeah, it's called a California stop, right? And we all do it all the time. Okay, we know that the law tells us that when you're on the freeway, in most places, the speed limit is 65 miles an hour. Anybody want to confess that you've maybe gone a skosh over 65 before in your life? Yes. How about this last one? When you come to an intersection and there is a light there and the light turns yellow, that means to slow down. How many would confess that when you've seen a yellow light, you've actually sped up? Right. We know in California, yellow means go faster. That's what it means, right? So we know the truth, we know the law, but then we live a different way. You know, what's tragic is that we joke about driving, but obviously the outcome of driving could be tragic in people's lives, but there's a disconnect between what we know is true and what we actually live out. And the same is true with probably the most famous verse in the entire Bible. And most of us can quote it. It's John 3.16. But before you get too busy and try to quote it with me, actually, I want to read to you um, a translation, just one verse, John chapter 3, verse 16. And this is from the TAV version, which is today's actual version. And this is what it says. For God so hated the world that he reserved his only son for good people so that whoever knows about him should not perish but have life after death. Does that sound anything like John 3.16 that you've heard before? Does it sound slightly opposite? Yes, because that translation reflects what you and I actually believe or think and live out compared to what we actually know is true. By the way, if some of you are looking up, trying to look up, man, I'm on the app and I'm looking for today's actual version. It does not exist. I made it up. I made it up because... As I think through how we tend to live our lives and how we tend to view God, sometimes that translation is more accurate than the original one. Because the original one says what? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but what? Will have eternal life. 
That's the true John 3.16. What's the difference between the two? Well, this morning I want to just take a few minutes and go through four things. Four things that you and I need to understand about the difference between the truth of what we know and the lie that sometimes we live. Two things about God and two things about us. First one is this. We have to understand, remember, that God loved instead of hated. Now, most of us don't wake up in the morning and think, man, God really hates me today. We don't think that. But we function that way sometimes with our own understanding of God and the way we think God views other people. It says that for God so loved. This is really important. The word love is a a kind of love that you and I don't even have a category for. And if you've been in church, you've heard this term. It's the word agape, which means it's the God kind of love which means it's really supernatural kind of love that doesn't have conditions and limitations, which means that God doesn't create categories for people of whom he chooses to love and who he chooses to hate. He chooses to love people because he's God. That's his nature. In fact, to bring more clarity, this is the real translation in John three seventeen. actually says this, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that we might, the world might be saved through him. That means that God's whole purpose of Jesus coming into the world wasn't because he hated people, it's because he loved people. Why is that important? Because you and I have a default. We think that when our life is at the lowest moment, when we mess up, when we blow it, we think that God switches the, the little switch that says love, he switches it over to hate. And he treats us as though we're enemies instead of family members like we're supposed to be when you've embraced Jesus. So I've told these probably in some form these two stories before. Let me just compare the two and how we, we have a tendency to respond to God when we fail. So I was with a friend, and uh, I was at his house, and we were playing basketball in his driveway, and his dad's BMW was in the driveway in the way. This is a classic BMW. And so we needed to move the BMW out of the way. And so he went in the house, and he got the keys, and he said, okay, I'm going to put the car in neutral. You're going to push. I'm like, I can do that. So I'm gonna, we're going to back it out of the driveway. And so at that time, they were in the process of their, the whole siding, all the, the siding on their house was shingles. And they were in the process of redoing all the shingles on their house. So there was all these big stacks of shingles next to the driveway. So I got on the front. I'm pushing on the front bumper, pushing the car backward. He's in the driver's seat. He's looking over his shoulder, making sure he steers it out the, out the driveway accurately. And he goes, push. And so I push as hard as I could. And the car starts moving. And I, I literally, my eyes are closed. I'm pushing as hard as I can. And all of a sudden, I hear this, this sound of crinkling metal. And all of a sudden, the car stops. And he says, Stop. So I pop up to see the driver's side door, which is only supposed to open, not, you know, less than 90 degrees, is opened all the way flat against the front fender. Because what happened is the stack of shingles got caught on the door, and as I was pushing, it just kept bending the door all the way open. And so when his dad came out, he wasn't very happy. (laughs) Because here was what happened to my friend. I got away scot-free, but my friend, on the other hand, he was, had made a deal with his dad. The whole summer, he was going to re-shingle the siding on the house, and he was going to get paid. And his dad looked at him and said, you're no longer getting paid. Because every shingle that you hang, you're paying me back for repairing my car. Let me just tell you, the rest of the time I was at my friend's house, it was slightly awkward around his dad. Because he was furious that we had destroyed his classic BMW. It was a door, but to him, it was his baby. So another story that probably better reflects what God's love looks like, because some of us feel that way. We blow it and like, okay, here it comes. Now I'm going to have to earn off what I just did. But of the many times that I did many stupid things when I was a kid, I had this tendency to want to play golf outside of a golf course. Not a smart idea. I did it in the streets. I did it in backyards. It was just not smart, okay? So my cousin and I one day decided to play golf in his backyard with full clubs and real real, real golf balls and everything. So I had a five iron, 
right in the middle of the grass in the backyard, and I just took a good swing, and I got a hold of it. Man, I, mean, I, I really nailed it. And it was kind of but a low line drive, which shouldn't really be with a five iron, but it was. But it was enough to get over the fence of the next door neighbor and go right into his window in his shop. And he happened to be working in the shop. Just destroyed his window. We could hear him screaming and cussing over the fence. So, of course, you do what any kid does. You drop the golf clubs and you run, <laughs> hoping that no one will figure out you were there. So he comes bolting out of his front door out into the, the, uh, in the, the front yards, and we were out in the front yard too, and he's coming at me screaming and yelling and saying words I've never heard before. And my grandpa steps out. He was at the ho- my cousin's house too, and he steps out and steps between me and this guy who's going ballistic, and he calms him down. He says, listen, listen, listen. He goes, I know it was an accident. I know it wasn't the smartest thing the kids were doing, but I will take care of this. And the guy was like screaming. He goes, they're going to have to pay for this. He goes, well, I'll take care of this. So listen, within two hours, my grandpa had gone to the hardware store, gotten a new window, cleaned up the glass, and replaced it as though it was brand new. I love my grandpa <laughs> because he saved my life. And he never, he never said, okay, now you're going to earn it off. Now you're going to pay for this. You shouldn't have done it. Not one word from his mouth that I was stupid and shouldn't have done that. He just took care of the damage that I caused, and he paid for it as, at his own price, at his own cost to him. You see, that's the difference between the way we view God is so many times we think, man, I blew it. Now I have to work my way back into fear with God. No, no, no. When you break the window, guess who pays for it? God does. Because that's his love. His love is not, I love you when you're good, but I hate you when you're bad. That's our thinking. That's the wrong way of thinking. Second thing is that God gave instead of reserved. So it says that God gave his only son. He didn't give it to the good people. That's what we think. God, Jesus came into the world for good people. Now listen to what Jesus said in his own words. Mark t- uh, 2, verse 17, he says, So those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. This is what I love about the way God works. This verse tells us that everybody gets an invite. There's no outsiders. There isn't anybody like, ah, sorry, you don't get a shot at this. You don't get a shot at coming in. Everybody's invited, no matter where they find themselves and the struggles they have or the failures they've had in their life. Everybody gets an invite to become a part of God's family because God gave his son to the world, not just to the good people. This is so important. Uh, Danielle Strickland, who is an amazing uh, communicator, she's actually um, in the Salvation Army, and she's up in Canada, but she travels around and she speaks, and she works a lot with people who are living on the street, a lot of people in difficult situations with addiction and homelessness. And uh, one time she shared this story about how she was was doing a wedding for a couple that actually they met each other while they were working at a mission uh, in, in a city up in Canada. And so they said, listen, we wanna get married, but we wanna get married where we met. And they met in the alley behind the mission where they used to distribute food to the homeless, to homeless people. So they wanted to get married in this alley. And it is a horrible, ugly, nasty-smelling, trash-filled alley. And they said, that's where we want to get married. Doesn't that sound fun? But I said, this is where we met. And she goes, all right, let's do it. So all of their friends, there's probably about 50 to 60 of them, they kind of gathered in this alley. And, and they're sitting there, and there's a whole wedding happening in an alley. And there's a dumpster right next to the front of where everybody was facing. And halfway through the ceremony the lid on the dumpster starts opening just slightly. (laughs) And out pops this head of this homeless guy who obviously was asleep when the ceremony started, but something woke him up. And you could see on his face, he looked around, he saw these people, and immediately the lid closed. And he was in there. So they kept going through the ceremony, and they finished the ceremony, and everybody went into the mission for the reception. That's where they're doing their reception. And so uh, as they all went in, this couple 
come back out after everybody's cleared out of the alleyway and they go over to the dumpster and they knocked on the side. And sure enough, here comes the lid open and this guy pops his head out and they said, hey, we want you to know you're invited. He's like, to what? <laughs> They're like, you see the wedding that just happened here? We're having a reception inside and it would mean the world to us if you would come and join us for our wedding reception. Mine's like, sure, free cake, I'm in. So he climbs out of the dumpster and he comes in. And I love that story because it's this demonstration that even the guy who wasn't invited, even the guy who was in the dumpster that nobody really knew was there, he still gets an invite. Why? Because this couple loved people. And there are people, and maybe it's some seasons in your life where you feel like, yeah, you know what, my, my life's a dumpster. That's how I feel. Even when you're in a dumpster, you're still getting an invite because God gave his son what? For everybody. It isn't just for the good people. It isn't just for the people who we think earn his favor. Two things, two other things. So that's God's side, now our side. So what do we need to do from this verse? The truth behind a lie means this, we believe, instead, uh, believe into instead of believe about. This is so important because what does John 3, 16 says? It says, whoever believes in him, it does not say whoever believes about him. It says whoever believes in him, into him. Belief has to do with the capacity relationally to believe into somebody, not just to know knowledge about. Because the religious leaders have great knowledge. Demons even have knowledge of who God is. But the difference is, is when we understand that God gave his son and his son came into the world, our responsibility, our job, is to believe into him, which means to know more than just to know about him. It's to know him personally. And the only way you know him personally is when you're in a relationship with him and you journey through life together with him, so therefore you know him. That's why one of the things that Jesus says, well, he will say on that day when everyone stands before him, for some he will look at them and say, sorry, I never knew you. But that person probably could recite all kinds of scripture. They could say all kinds of great information. They learned about Jesus, but Jesus will look at them and say, but you don't know me. How do we get to know each other? There's a difference between knowing about and knowing personally, believing into. So many of you know my brother-in-law is a pilot. His name's Kurt. He's an amazing pilot. And I know that for a lot of different reasons. I've flown with him on a number of occasions. But, but I know for, from, from the outside looking in, he's a very accomplished pilot. I know that because his safety record is impeccable. He's flown all kinds of different aircraft, including helicopters, and he has this amazing safety record. I also know that he went to one of the top flight schools in the country when he was going through his training, and so he's got phenomenal training, amazing training. I know that he has thousands upon thousands of hours in various different kinds of aircraft, and I know that he's an amazing pilot. I know that he flies celebrities all over the world. But how do I know he's really a good pilot? Because I'm willing to get in his plane. If I saw all of his training and I saw those things, that's great. That's great information. But how do I know he's a really good pilot? I've actually gotten into the plane with him and watched him work the controls and watched him take off and watched him land and traveled with him. And now I can tell you, not because of information, but because of personal experience, he's a great pilot. See, some of us want to be the kind of people that say, yeah, I'll stay on the ground, but we never want to get in Jesus' plane. But you don't know him unless you get in his plane. You don't know why. The only way you know if you know Jesus is if you're willing to put your life on the line and put your life in, in his hands. Then you know you know him. Why? Because you actually believe enough in him to trust him with your life. That's what John 3.16 is saying. We believe in him. That's why it isn't like I just pray a prayer and say a couple words and, hey, I'm in. No, no, no. 
there's something personally, deeply, personally involved in us knowing Jesus in a way that is more than just the informational piece that sometimes we get stuck in. And then the final thing is this, that we live eternally instead of eventually. This is really important. Different translations say different things, but when it says that none will perish, but all will have, some say everlasting life, but the concept of eternal life is not life that happens on the other side of death. That's what we get stuck in, which means it's life after death. No, what Jesus came, he came to give not only a length of life, but he came to give a quality of life. And because of that, eternal life doesn't start after you die. Eternal life starts now. It changes the way you live your life today. And that's what our part is. So we're believing into him, but, but also that means that we have to start living today knowing that we will live forever. We will die physically, but we're not going to die spiritually. We're not going to be separated from God. And if that's true, then our life should look different every day. Because why? We have eternal life. That means we won't experience separation. We won't experience punishment. We won't, we won't experience what we would consider to be hell. We get to be with Jesus. We get to be what we were designed to be with, and that was to be with God. And if that's true, think about the way that we live our lives. Because there's a number of different ways we can go about living our lives, but there's really only one way that actually shows that we believe Jesus and who he is, and we've experienced that, to know that we actually live with this concept of eternal life. The life starts now and just goes on forever. Let me just go a few th through a few of these things. Think about this in your own life. Do you spend your life? What does that mean? That means we try to make something of our life. We take every moment that we have and we're trying to make something of our life so that we feel like we've accomplished something, that we've lived life, that we feel some kind of fulfillment. So we're spending every moment to try to grasp after something that we can't seem to attain. But we keep spending, 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 spending. Maybe we invest it. Like, oh, and investing, that's smart. No, what is investing? Investing's good, but when you're talking about investing your life, that means you calculate everything. That means you're cautious. That means you risk nothing because you want to eliminate your risk. Why? Because you're investing and you want to return on your investment. So you are very particular about the way you live your life. You say yes to things that you know there's no risk and you say no to things that have high risk. So you invest your life. Well, maybe you don't spend it, you don't waste it, or you don't invest it, maybe you waste it. And that means I don't care. I'm just going to live carelessly. I don't think about today, tomorrow. I don't think about eternity. I'm just going to live my life for today. I'm just going to do whatever I want to do, what feels good in the moment now, which is in a sense just wasting the life that God has given you. What about this one? This one seems important. I want to save it. I want to save my life. You know, I don't want to die. I don't, I don't want to waste it. I don't want to just spend it. I want to save it. Why? Because I'm saving it for who? You're saving it for who? If you, well, that's a good one. We save it for Jesus. But you know what Jesus would call us to do? He actually says this. We're not supposed to save our life. We're actually supposed to lose it. Listen to his own words. Matthew 10, 39. Whoever finds his life will do what? Lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will actually find it. So here's how you know if somebody has eternal life. They're willing to lose their life. And that doesn't, doesn't mean physically dying. That means I give up the agenda to my life. This is the cool thing with Jesus. Losers win. Be a loser for Jesus. Because the opposite is also true. Winners lose. You can win all you want in life. You can save your life. You can spend your life. You can waste your life. You can invest your life. But at the end of the day, if you don't lose your life, you've never lived. And if Jesus has given us the capacity of eternal life, 
That means of all people in the world, we have no fear of death. Why? Because death, on the other side of death, is a benefit for us. So this life means I can, I can give all of who I am to follow Jesus, and I can lose all of what I think I'm supposed to have in my life, and I still win. I still gain. That's what he calls us to. So when we start thinking about John 3.16, we need to have an adjustment from what we actually know to what we actually live. Because I'm convinced if you are a follower of Jesus and you believe in John 3.16, your life will be different. Because you will realize that God actually does love you even on your worst day, in your worst moment. You will actually believe that Jesus came into the world not just for good people, but he came for all people. So all get an invite. All are in You'll actually believe to the point where you want to know Jesus more and more every single day of your life to the point where eventually you'll realize that I have life that is guaranteed that goes on forever. So today, I live in the fullest capacity of what it means to be human and to be alive. I don't know, that gets me excited. That's one verse, and there's thousands of them in the Bible. But if we just live by one verse, it would transform our minds, transform our lives. So go ahead, would you close your eyes? We're going to close in prayer, and then after that, I'm going to give some instructions on what we'll move on to next. So just with, with eyes closed right now, I want to give an opportunity. Maybe you're visiting today, or maybe you've, you've been in church a number, for a, a, long, a lot of years in your life, but maybe for the first time in your life, you kind of understood that, that John 3.16 is different than the way you've kind of understood it in your life. That maybe you're understanding for the first time that God actually does love you that he doesn't make you pay for your sins because Jesus is the one who pays for your sins. That's what he did on the cross. And maybe you've always felt like the outsider looking in, like you, there's no way you could get an invite into the family that you couldn't belong, and you understand that Jesus came for you. And maybe you're here and you understand a lot of stuff about Jesus. you got a lot of information, maybe even memorized verses, but you know that inside you don't know him. There's no personal connection. And then maybe you're here and you know, you know what, I, I don't know what it is to really live. But if in your life you have never come to a moment where you have made a commitment at a date and a time that says, I'm going to choose to follow Jesus because he came into the world for me. I'm going to choose to follow Jesus because he's given me what it is to live life. I'm going to choose to follow Jesus because he's invited me to be a part of his family. If you've never made a commitment or a decision in your life to do that, today you can do that. So what I'm going to do, and I pray in a moment, I'm going to ask you to do something really simple. I'm going to ask you with, no, everyone else is, no one's looking, but I'm going to ask you just to lift your hand up. And your hand lifted up is a, a sign to the Lord, and as well, I'll look around the room just to agree with you that today's the day you make that decision. I'm turning my life over to Jesus because I understand that God loves me, and Jesus came for me, and he's given me life. So if that's you, would you just go ahead and raise your hand right now, and then I'm going to pray for you. Just raise your hand so I know I'll, I'll look around the room. And I'll agree with those hands that are going up right now, and then I'm going to pray because the Lord sees those hands as well. Jesus, we thank you that you are a God who came into the world to become like us, to understand us, to die for us so that we could live. So today we ask, Lord, that we would be able to live to the fullest. And Lord, those hands that have gone up today, I pray that you would, you would work in each person's heart as they made these, this commitment, this decision, that Lord, as they make this this moving forward, this this engaging with you, that they would truly come to know you in a way they've never experienced you before. We thank you for this great day. We pray for your blessing over the rest of our day as we fellowship and enjoy food and games and fun together. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for your blessing in our life. In your name, amen. Amen. amen.